You're listening to. Hey guys, welcome back to First of All, a real unfiltered conversation on career, family, relationships, and all things modern culture. I'm your host, Mindy Chang. Thanks so much for tuning in for this week's episode. Hope you're doing well and you're healthy and happy wherever you are, whenever you're listening to this. Uh, thanks to everybody who's been showing so much love for last week's episode. I had a feeling that it'd be a powerful one, but I'm so grateful to Mel Chang from Asian Boss Girl for coming in to sit down and talk about sex with me and to break down uh, these layers of shame and stigma that we have around something that's really important and personal in our lives. And I'm just so happy and honored that people have resonated with it, that they're enjoying that content. And um, yeah, thanks for everyone who took the time to message me or Samila, thank you. It means a lot. So, yeah. And hopefully this episode this week will be just as inspiring and motivating and eye-opening for you because I get to sit down with somebody that I truly admire and respect as a person um, and as a businessman, as a branding mogul. (laughs) Of course, I'm talking about Andrew Chow from Boba Guys. He's a co-founder of Boba Guys. And, uh, Yeah, he's just somebody that I think is so creative in his approach and such a great business person. I wanted to understand his journey as an individual and as a businessman and this concept, this philosophy and this mission and ethos behind Boba Guys, which is bridging cultures. I wanted to say that I grew up with Boba my for a large portion of my life, we don't need to talk about how old I am, but uh, I grew up in the Bay Area where boba has been around for quite a while. So it wasn't something that was new to me, but something I think that Boba Guys did really great was have a purpose behind their business in bridging cultures. And I think that is something that did expand boba and make it accessible and enjoyable to a lot of different people and a lot of communities that may not have been as curious or brave or interested in trying out otherwise. Um, And that's what I think is so amazing about the influence of culture and the, the influence of purpose and vision. So if there's anybody out there who's, you know, not even just like a creative person who wants to make content, but if you want to make a product or if you have any idea that you want to bring into fruition and share with the world, I think Andrew is such a, a great mind to dig into and hear from his insight because it really fed my mind as someone who wants to be an entrepreneur and who wants to further create films and content or anything, um, thinking about how to go about that. I think the why and the how is something that's really important to take in consideration as we do things. So I hope that you enjoy this episode and then I hope uh, you you share it with a friend. I hope that you send it to somebody who has a creative idea and give them a nudge and say, hey, you know, think about this. These are This is food for thought. And if you do enjoy, I hope that you'll leave a five-star review and subscribe to the podcast so you can get more notifications that amazing content like this is available to you. Uh, I just became a spokesperson. I'm really bad at it. But in any case, I hope you enjoy it. Um, Share with a friend and like, subscribe, all of that. But before we get into the episode, real quick, shout out 
that um, I am co-hosting a live event with Perfectly Imperfect Podcast and Asian Boss Girl. That is Christine Chen, Regina Fang, and Helen Wu, Janet Wang, and Mel Chang. We are going to be co-hosting a live event called Off the Mic at Ethos Society in Koreatown in Los Angeles on Saturday, October 5th. And basically want to just be able to meet with the people who listen to us and have them meet each other, have some good uh, in-depth discussions amongst ourselves, you know, because we are three separate channels that do focus on a lot of similar things with our unique perspectives and just really get to meet our own communities and, um, yeah, see what we can offer to everybody else and how we can build each other up. So if you're interested, the link is available in my Instagram bio at Mindizi. You can also find it at First of All Pod uh, Instagram bio and all the respect, all of their podcasts and all of their Instagrams as well. I hope you'll follow us, listen to our content and see if you're interested in coming to hang out with us because it'll be really fun. So again, Saturday, October 5th, off the mic at Ethos Society in Koreatown. And that's it for that plug. Without further ado, here is my episode on bridging culture with co-founder of Boba Guys, Andrew Chow. Enjoy! Uh, How are you doing today? Doing really amazing. Full of boba. Full of boba. We had our boba. I had to stay on brand. Thank you very much for that. I love boba so much. I genuinely have consumed more in the last year or two. Than like all the years combined before. Hopefully, that's that's a, hopefully a good thing. You're highly influential, is what I'm saying. <laughs> well, I've also now listened to podcasts more because of you. Really? As we were talking about, yeah. Because of me? Well, because you and a handful of our friends have yeah. been doing these podcasts, and I get a lot of my information. That's the only way I stay in the know. So I'm like, what is the like for you? You have a lot of people like doing really interesting things. Mm-hmm. So I'm like, what are people up to nowadays? Because I mean, I don't see everybody as much as you probably see them. Uh, yeah, I do. And the funny thing is, like, I feel like you, you and Kenji, my boyfriend, are very similar in that aspect of you want to know what's going on. Mm-hmm. Mine is more through like osmosis. Like I'm in environments where I hear a lot of what's going on, uh-huh. or I see it on Instagram. So I'm kind of like it's it's getting into my brain and my my universe, but I'm not necessarily seeking it out. I'm like, he, I, he always wants to know, like, how's so-and-so doing? I was like, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I think we're just maybe nosy. <laughs> we're I think like, it's great. Curious. I'm very curious. Yeah, there curious. we go. That's, that's a better brand word. Yeah. Where I'm very curious. Yeah. Well, for me, we were just talking about this, I guess, off the podcast, but a lot of the energy of a creative and entrepreneur are very similar. So we're, for me, I'm very interested in knowing what happens in the mind of artists or for you, like whether it's actresses or voice talent mm-hmm. or producers and writers. To me, that mindset actually plays really well when I think about storytelling for my brand or any businesses that I'm involved with. Yeah. And you're just, I feel like that's just being a sponge and like you're you're constantly just getting educated. And it's, it's lovely that it's from like a natural place. Like it's not something that's cumbersome to you, like making you overwhelmed or whatever. You naturally really gravitate towards like, I want to know what's happening with yeah. this and this and that. I hope so. I think it's because I'm a nerd. I don't know if you're, we're both nerds. So maybe yeah, we are. there's nerds. Wave then. the nerd flag high and probably, proud. Probably, yeah. Like, I wonder how that works. Yeah. Were you that kid when you were young 
did you like just break open toys? Like I would literally take apart toys. Were you? My brother was like that. Oh, really? uh, I I didn't break apart toys, but I kind of built worlds a little bit. Oh, yeah. Okay, nice. Well, I was just uh, yeah. Like what world did you build? Well, I did like house and stuff, and I had dolls and everything. But I just had a very specific backstory to like how Mister Bear met you know oh. Miss. Like it, it just kind of came to my brain. I don't That's, know. No, then it makes sense now. Yeah. Like you had a cr- crazy imagination. I had an imagination, and then I was very curious about people. So, like, I would pick things up <laughs> that maybe details that other people wouldn't really pay attention to. Yeah. I'd be like, oh, so-and-so said that they had a house. So, like, oh, so they like the beach. Like, I would remember stuff like that, and it would kind of build a person to me. So, I would kind of reverse engineer who they were as a person, what they like, or mm-hmm. why um, Barbie has a Malibu beach house. Oh, it's like, Barbie's a California girl. Like, I would think about... Mm-hmm random things like that but i didn't break anything open and like figure out how something works in that fashion then you weren't as nerdy but you must have you you were definitely very creative yeah you had yeah did you have like do people don't do them nowadays but like puppet shows or like uh i did a lot of i think i did a lot of house playing oh house yeah yeah. playing house yeah yeah and i'd I'd be the producer i'd be like so you're the dad (laughs) or the director (laughs) you make everybody yeah you're the you're the dad, and you, you give them like a fake apply uh, utensil. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah, yeah. Go over there and do yeah, that. Pretend, stir the stir the gravy. Yeah. I my sister. I have a younger sister. She was like that. She would always be like, "You get over there. You wait until the cookies are done." <laughs> and then I was like, "What cookies?" And then I'm like, "She's like, they're there. Don't worry about it." <laughs> had I probably had a better imagination, I would have been like, "Ding done already." And then I'd be like, "I could so I hear could you. I could it. I could hear child Andrew doing that actually." Very much so. I was, I'm now known a little more to kind of mess with people because I just fool around a lot. But I think when I was a kid, I was super straight laced. So I didn't have, I don't think I had the creativity at all. But now it's very different, right? You've kind of evolved into it. Now you have to. Yeah. I mean, I was, I mean, we'll probably get into it later, but I was, I kind of like almost did a 180 where a lot of my early life was very straight and narrow, very buttoned up, very disciplined. Mm -hmm. But then be an entrepreneur, you have to roll with the punches. 100%. And so, like, some days I don't know I'm getting on a flight, like, within two hours. That's what I'm saying. I'm like, like I book a, it, and I'm like, I hope they took my my ticket, and they show up, and they're like, oh, thank God it went through. Like, following your Instagram is, like, one great adventure. I'm like, <laughs> I, where in the world is Andrew Chow, essentially? <laughs> uh, that's not good. I think uh, it's great. Well, true, the, people don't know this, but it is true. My wife actually has me on Five My Friends, because sometimes she doesn't know what city I'm in. <laughs> <laughs> That's so much. Okay, well, we'll get. Well, I, I definitely want to get up to the, the entrepreneur side, but I, I'm really curious to understand because the way that you are and the way that you conduct your business and have built these brands and like have brought Boba into, you know, are you just like in the strong force bringing Boba into the mainstream? Or I think I've already done that, at least in my world. Um, I want to go back to that straight-laced Andrew, though, because I think that our childhood can be pretty revealing, but not entirely, obviously, because we can change a lot as a person, Exhibit A, mm-hmm. you. But I'm curious to know, like, what was it? You, so you were a kid that liked to, like, figure things out, how they worked, and you would, you were the one that... What were you, what were the toys that you played with? Was I'm it a like, huge... To this day, I collect Transformers. Oh, okay. So, yeah. I'm a big Transformers person. Love. Um, You, too? Um, I actually got into it because of my little brother. I'm 10 years older than my little brother, uh-huh. and he liked Transformers and Gundam Wing. Yeah. So I yeah, made yeah, I them Gundam. for him because oh, he was wow. too little to yeah, like yeah, yeah. put together all the little uh-huh. parts. Uh-huh. I loved it. Yeah. Well, there you go. <laughs> By proxy. Oh, then you have like, both. You have both like the kind of the analytical engineering plus the creativity artist mind. Yeah. So I would, yeah, I did a lot of that. 
Um, I did have a little bit of imagination, I have to say. I mean, I, I, I actually did. My sister and I put put on puppet shows uh, back in the day. They don't now; it's everything digital. But when when we all grew up, it was like really like primitive toys. So we had brown paper bag puppets. I Remember love those? it. Yes. I don't think they make them anymore. They should. We need to bring that back. Yeah. With the little, um, when they pipe cleaners. Yeah. Yeah. Like yeah. Arms. And the wobbly eyes. Wobble, yeah. Googly eyes. The googly eyes. Um, I, and sock puppets. I yeah. remember making sock puppets. Uh, paper mache. Yeah. Like, uh, I mean, that was when schools had home ec. Now schools I hear don't have even like that home ec. That breaks my heart. I think that that's. I know. I think. It is a detriment to our society. I'm telling you, like not having that creative outlet or like having that tactile yeah. experience of making something, I think is really on it. I don't know. This is just me imposing my beliefs, but I think that it's important for a kid to. That and safety. Yeah. We're gonna, we have 30 year olds who don't know how to bake. I'm like, how do you not know how to turn an oven or like turn on a fire like a stove? Yep. I was like, there's a starter. And, yeah. and then they're like, it doesn't turn on. And like, but it smells like gas. Oh, no. <laughs> and I'm like, how are you working for Boba guys? No. Oh, oh no. Yeah. Oh, so, yeah that's some thing. employees. I we have a stove in couples, one of our stores, but, uh, and it's come up. Cause you guys boil. I'm not outing, the outing, yeah. outing. Our but these are there. practical things. We're just saying that. The yeah. If culture. you're a millennial listening, we have two Gen Zer slash borderline millennials Giving you some shit, but am I allowed to swear on this podcast? <laughs> yes, you're allowed. Okay. That don't, it's no offense, and I'm not calling anybody's specific name out. So if it, if it feels like I'm talking about you, it is probably you, but. It's also uh, a loving, encouraged tap on your butt. Like, you can learn these things. You can. And, and be safe. So. But yeah. A lot, yeah, so a lot of my childhood was because, maybe because of school, or maybe because of uh, growing up with parents I always worked, my sister and I had to really do things on our own. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I would find time to break open uh, toys. I like G.I. Joe a lot. Yeah. And I think there was a, I forget, it was Sky Commander where I would have strings all over our house where these, they're action figures that had backpacks on uh-huh. and then they would slide across the string. And G.I. Joe had its own kind of knockoff version, but... I think it was called Sky Commander that I had a bunch of those. So I was super into like toys and, and match, uh, matchbox cars. I had those. Those are fun. Yeah. All the like normal. I grew up in Jersey. All the normal like. I didn't know that about you. I should have yeah. asked you that. Jersey. Okay. Yeah. That's, that's what Jersey kids did. Because if you watch the movie Garden State, like a lot of it is like getting out of the state. Because mm-hmm. if people feel trapped, mm-hmm. like that neighborhood that they're in was very similar to the neighborhood uh if you, we're, it's a throwback reference but if you watch a movie with zach braff garden state it's a great movie great soundtrack mm-hmm. but like my neighborhood is 100 percent true i mean google it now it's 61 coley street woodbridge new jersey which is where i grew up um you can walk through the front door our front doors are all unlocked yeah and you can just walk in and be like hi is georgie home is gregory home and then is andrew home like, oh, he's at April's house or whatever, and we'd run or take our bikes down the street. It was like Sandlot. I remember that. That's a Sandlot, and for me, it was now and then. It was like that that bike. Oh, with Thora Birch, that one? Yeah, Thora Birch and Christina uh. Ricci. That was like my childhood. It was very much that that, that neighborhood mm. vibe with like your friends, and you, you hang out at each other's houses, somebody's house. You're at one of them. Yours was in the Bay, though. Mm-hmm. That, that happened in the Bay, too? Yeah, in Cupertino. Oh, I was oh, like all the the tech kids. You guys, all we safe. were all tech kids. But the funny, you know, when you're a kid, you don't know that you're a tech kid. Yeah, yeah, you, yeah. you just like you're living life. So I was like, That's awesome. my elementary school was right by the Apple office. Oh, and shoot. in my mind, I didn't know I was Apple headquarters. Till I was 18. 
I, oh, really? I thought it was an Apple office. You know <laughs> what like, I mean? Cause, they sell apples that I eat. Well, I, I knew Apple was like a big brand and our computer, we had computers and I learned how to type when I was six. Like, mm. and, and, and in the 90s, that was like, I thought that was normal. When you're a kid, you're like, you're oh, normal. That's not Everyone's normal. Yeah, normal. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 So I learned how to type really, really young. And we had, you know, at that time, like top of the line Mac yep, computers. Yep, yeah. And um, because we're right next to the Apple oh, yeah, campus. You were probably hooked up on your school. I was probably like, I mean, I grew up half a mile away from Steve Jobs. I didn't yeah. know that. Yeah. I didn't know. And then, um, yeah, I didn't know until I was at Berkeley. Like someone was setting up one of those candy colored monstrosities which, which, which one? they're like those pink and you remember oh, the, the, the one with the casing yeah 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 i forgot that and period. she was like oh it's set at cooper and i looked at it it was like it's default at cupertino why? Oh. And she's like, are you stupid? I was like, <laughs> he is from your hometown. And I was like, shut up. <laughs> <laughs> There's no pride for the group. Well, now, now, obviously. Well, not everyone is. knows. I didn't know that. Yeah. Like, yeah, it's, it's a very, but it felt very normal. It felt very like, let's all go to 7-Eleven, get a Slurpee, and then yeah. go play handball at the park yeah. or whatever. Yeah, it was oh, really Oh, we basically fun. had the same childhood then. Yeah. I did that. Handball, uh, tetherball, mm-hmm. kickball. I climbed trees. Yep. Tree houses. I, I think right now, parents won't let, I don't think they'll let kids, I have a lot of my friends who have kids, and they don't have tree houses. And I think it's because they think it's dangerous for Yeah, kids. yeah, yeah. When I'm like, every kid should get a splinter <laughs> for in one <laughs> it's month. It's part of life. It's part of life, yeah. And you could fall six feet and still be alive. Yeah. Like, I think every kid should go through that. I mean, if you, I, you know, I have, I wear jeans a lot. I have scars all over my legs. I have, Same. I, I can't pull mine up. Oh, I... Yes, battle I like, scars. Uh, right here, like that, that one. I have almost identical. Yeah. Mine's like an inch lower. Yeah, yeah. Andrew and I are trading battle scars. Right now. Sorry. <laughs> no one can see it. Sorry whoever is, yeah, wondering if we're... <laughs> the right knee. The yeah, right the knee. right cap. knee. So if anyone large, needs to identify our uh, A quarter inch scar. What'd like you get yours it. from? Um, Biking real fast, gravel road, skid out, and then I like tore my... my my knee was pretty bad in my that scar right there. My, oh right snap! Hand. Yeah, I have. Yeah, I I don't. I actually don't even remember this one. I know this one was from when I was four. I like you know when you get the divot in your shin from oh, yeah. like scraping it on like yeah. a stair or something. I have or one here. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's great. Awesome. But that's like to me is like sign of a robust childhood. Though I could have used some more parental supervision. I feel like. Oh, I I think we had pretty good. But it was a different time, also. That, yeah, exactly. That's what made you who you are. You're. A self-starter. You have your own podcast. <laughs> You're an actress. You, you run a nonprofit. Like like all that stuff is probably because you were doing it. You were on your own for such a long time. I really enjoyed it. I liked the autonomy. I adjusted. Yeah. I didn't feel like I was missing. Oh, anything. I hate being. Yeah. I was like, kids tell me nurtured? what to do. <laughs> I know so we're somewhere supposed to be talking about Persian cultures here. But I know. I am pretty on one side of the culture, which is I believe in tough love. I really do. I've, yeah, I think people need more grit in this life. I concur, and the thing is, the funny thing is that a lot of my podcasts, I talk a lot about self care and like, but the self care thing to me doesn't equate to being soft on yourself. It means being like loving to yourself yeah, and not like you judging and criticizing. Yep. But I also think loving somebody means pushing them and not and keeping accountability. I think is part of love too. Like if if it's not for the my best benefit, oh, right? For sure. Like holding myself accountable. It's like for my friends if they're doing something that I feel like they're walking off a cliff. Yeah. Again, that might be my perception of it, but I still like would try to like, yo, yeah. I think you're really 
you're, you're you know, the edge a little bit. Right. I so agree. it's not necessarily like, I, and I, I believe in the softness and the cushiness and the love and the, the mushy stuff. I love all of it. But I also, I, I, I want, uh, I want to integrate the, the toughness that I feel like I had bestowed upon me by how yeah. I grew up. Cause I still value that a lot. And it seems like, yeah, I, I'm learning this about you. You're tough you, love all the way. Have you read, um, this is going to sound like an Asian NPR episode, but, uh, <laughs> by the way, you're like Asian Terry gross. Cause you're easily probably the podcast that goes the deepest with all your friends. Oh, we were just talking about, you have a couple episodes that have like an hour and a half. Yeah. We go deep, which is really awesome. It's like therapy. <laughs> uh, so if I cried, then it's not because of me. It's Minji. That uh, means I did my job. <laughs> so there's this book. Have you read Kim Scott's radical candor? I've heard of that book. I've heard of radical candor. I've heard highly of it. recommend it. Haven't read um, it. Buy it on Amazon. Kim Scott. And her, I mean, I don't want to ruin the whole book, but the, one of the premises is that the definition of radical candor is care personally and challenge directly. Mm. So there's a lot of people in our lives that are always like, they care too much, almost like no boundaries. Mm-hmm. Yet they don't really challenge anybody. They just let people fall off the cliff. They're like, they don't really like keep them accountable. And there's a lot of people who just are straight up accountability and challenge directly. They're just like, you're stupid. Like, why are you doing that? And all that kind of stuff. And they don't really... They have distance between people. They have, like, walls up. Got it. And I think more and more, like, that's how I train our team. And a lot of what I talk about is radical candor. Because, mm-hmm. I mean, I say I'm tough love, but, I mean, a lot of people who also know me, like, know, I'm like, Andrew's, like, super nurturing. He's always very encouraging. And I'm like, <laughs> that is true, too. And yeah. I think because I see it more like because I'm very encouraging, I can have maybe people's ear so that I can give them truth. Yeah. And I don't like go out spitting truth on people because I think it's annoying. It's really annoying when people, when you give, like, despite my big personality, I don't really give people advice. You don't. I, we, I, we have podcasts. Yeah. Like, my, my, you know, my Instagram is where I kind of just like, post things, but I'm not writing to anybody. You yeah. always are sharing your thoughts. I feel like it's a different thing than saying you should do this. I, I, yeah. I've had people in my life that you definitely feel like you're getting advice. Oh, yeah. You know yeah, what I mean? Yeah. And I think yeah, that yeah. that's, I, I'm fascinated by human communication mm-hmm. and how things get translated. Again, because that's why I fight with Kenji sometimes. It's not about necessarily even what you're saying, but how you're saying it. Oh, yeah, right? For sure. If you're speaking down at somebody or saying, you you don't know what you're doing, let oh, me yeah. tell you. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's a very different thing. And you're very, I think, it's a, it's a difference of like sharing information. Information, sharing thoughts, or like, oh, these are this is what I learned from yeah. business you school get, or from running a sense. Yeah, take it, or take leave it or leave it. it. Yeah, exactly, and that's not the same as like y'all don't know what you're doing. Yeah, let me let me tell you. But I mean, that's like the Asian. I mean, this might be like top down, top mm-hmm. down. Yeah, it's like every Asian parent thinks they know what's best for the kid. Like, did you get your jacket? My mom's like, always. Do you have your jacket on? And I'm like, it's 80 degrees, mom. <laughs> Like, if you get a cold, not you know, like, I'm like, I'm not going to get a cold because it's 85 degrees. I don't need a jacket. Yeah. You know, but they think they're right or whatever. But I feel like that's what, why I, for my friends, whenever I sit down with anybody, I am very curious about childhoods too, because I think that that's the, that's our entryway into like whatever becomes our culture. That my culture is very mm-hmm. much rooted in a very Korean household, right? My mm-hmm. par- I inherited my parents' version of Korea that they brought to America, yeah. which I realized like recently they brought over 1980 Korea. They stopped that that whatever happened after there in that culture stopped when they brought that here so for That's what me I and any listener what is 1980s korea very patriarchal very okay. top down uh-huh. dad is king uh-huh. um mom supports him no matter what 
And it's very nuclear family, family first over mm-hmm. everything, um, obedience mm-hmm. and hard work and education. That's that's just in a nutshell. Okay. What's your? What did you? So you had uh, tough love was part of your. I think that's ne- probably 1980s Taiwan. Taiwan, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Because maybe that's why the Asian tiger mom or tiger parents are similar across multiple Asian cultures. Mm-hmm. It most of that. Maybe not. Maybe the patriarchy. I think Taiwanese women are. Um, I might get flack for this, but notoriously strong. Mm-hmm. Um, My best friend's uh, Chinese. I love you, Linda. Yeah, I grew up around a lot of strong Chinese women. Yeah, so I would say maybe that. But the, the whole education and just a nuclear family, tighten knit, mm-hmm. um, do your best education. That's mm-hmm. definitely universal. Not universal, but I can relate to that. Yeah. Yeah, I just never knew. How so? Is that do you think then some people reject that upbringing and they almost design their entire life to go away from that? Mm-hmm. Do you feel like you're that, or do you think that you're who you are because of that 1980s Korea? I think the latter. I think at this point in my life, mm-hmm. I think there was a period, I think specifically adolescence, but you mm-hmm. re- you reject and you rebel and you want, you, you, there's a, like an inherent, like, you don't know what you're talking about, mom, like yeah. feeling. Um, and I think that that's very universal to just kind of that age range, no matter who or where you're from. Um, just to, to fight what whatever it is that you feel like you you had no option but to live, right? Like you're yeah. recognizing that you have your own thoughts and feelings and that you're there's a like a breaking point for a lot and not everybody's that rebellious. Some people will go their entire life and never feel like they particularly want to push back against anything. But that was for me, my teenage years, I was like definitely anti Anti-parent, but I think that at the same time, because I was very straight-laced, too, I was a rule follower. Uh-huh. I was very, like... Well, two Berkeley kids, of course. We probably followed some rules. You know, but I, oh, I rebelled in my ways, too. And, um, but I, I always, I was very rule-following, achievement-oriented, so uh-huh. I liked the the highs that I got from, like, yep. the pat on the back, the straight A's. Yep. Um, I still, I, I, I appreciate that, mm-hmm. because I appreciate those highs. I'm, I'm glad that I did well in school. Mm-hmm. Um, Cause I liked learning. A that was really the root of it. But B, I liked the straight A's and the gloating. <laughs> and the, maybe that's a little, the Asian pride. That, yeah, that's the, that's the sense of pride. I think uh, the subtle Asian pride that is in almost every Asian. It's like nobody says I want to get straight A's, but when you get it, there's. I've had my non-Asian friends, like my white friends, mm-hmm. get straight A's, mm-hmm. and they're like, "Oh, that's cool." Yeah, and I felt like I was like king of the world. Yeah, and yeah, then, like for you, <laughs> it did not even matter. Because you, know. you have so many other facets where you're appreciated and like it was, yeah. it's, it's a bit in these values and like you exactly. kind of see where the where the yeah where things get put. So yeah. you were straight A kids. I mean, again, we're gonna uh, we're gonna have a lot of assumptions here with like us being two. Yeah, children, I would say yes. I was a pretty good student. I and straight laced and narrow. Yeah. Well, I mean, I don't know if you want to know if the if the listeners want to know about the background, which I don't. Go, again, this might go Terry Gross, so don't don't go don't pry too much and like okay. unlock the Pandora's box. <laughs> Whatever uh, you want to share. But uh, my parents were immigrants, so what people do know is because I've wrote about it before is that my dad was a freedom swimmer. So what those are like the people from from uh, Guangzhou, which is south, southern China, to Hong Kong, which at the time was British. So it's about ten hour swim. Okay. So there's a. Maybe hundreds of thousands of people who tried. About 60,000 people made it, supposedly. They, they never tracked this, which belongs in a movie, by the way, um, mm-hmm. that I wish some of our friends would one day make. But um, he came. then he from Hong Kong came as a refugee. 
And so he came to the United States with no education. He was taken from his family by the communist um, – well, during the communist revolution, they put people either in the army or in the, the farms or in kind of like the educational – like um, kind of like the brains sector. And my dad was the farmer guy because he of where he was and maybe his build. He was a little bigger than most Asians. So he um, – he was a really good swimmer, which is how he made it. And so when he came to Asia, I mean, America from Asia, he was very, very immigrant. So everything he does is like it's grit and gratefulness. And to this day, I think I'd like to say that's kind of where I get my grit and gratefulness because mm. my dad is like super. He's probably the person I look up to the most. He's, he's been through so much. Um, my mom, she's Taiwanese. Um she grew up in Taipei, and her dad was a fighter pilot, uh, Taiwanese Air Force. Wow. So my, my mom's not his military family, so she moved around a lot. She ended up in the States because um, the U.S. Um, government and uh, Taiwan had an agreement, and the U.S. was training Taiwanese pilots. My grandpa, her dad, was one of the uh, supposedly best pilots, so I think 20 of them came over to the U.S. and trained. Sadly, he passed away while he was here training in the U.S., and my mom got not stuck here, but they just... The U.S. took care of her. Mm-hmm. And so when my parents met and they had me, uh, uh, this is actually true. I don't think nobody knows this. Uh, my parents met in Berkeley where our, we went to college. Oh. So my graduation dinner or lunch was at the restaurant where they met. That's so sweet. Yeah. yeah. They met at a restaurant? That was their yeah. first date? Or like- uh, no, they met because my dad was a co- uh, like a line cook because he had no what? education. My mom was the hostess or like the, the person who comes in, oh. you know, like, you know, seat you at your table. So the cashier or whatever. I would like to option this movie. <laughs> I know. And so it was weird. Now, part of the reason I kind of chose that school was because um, I might have gone to the East Coast. But part of the reason I chose Berkeley was... Um, Really for my parents, because that's where they met. Oh, I love it. But, um, and then, so, when they had me, they, they just like every, I'm sure your parents, they put all your hopes and dreams in that. But they never, though, expected for me to be, like, like the best in anything. So, that's mm-hmm. where somehow, I think I learned that through other parts of the culture. Mm-hmm. I think they were tiger parents, for sure. My mom was. But it wasn't explicit. Mm-hmm. If anything, I just felt it because my aunt or my grandma would hint at things. Same. I didn't yeah. really get that from my parents. Yeah. It was kind of just like implicit. It, yeah. it, I didn't ever, I don't remember anybody lecturing me like, you have to get yeah. blah, blah, blah. Oh, then that's interesting. It's part of Do our. Do you f- feel like it was then. It's probably. What do you think about this? Is it because it wasn't like they would praise you and tell you what they would want, but if you. If you kind of like were on the right track and like did prioritize academics, uh-huh. they kind of would be like, just a, a subtle nod. Yeah, 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 you're going the right direction for sure. But then if they were, if you weren't, they would just be like, why would you do that? And that would steer you back into the right path. The thing is, I, I as a kid, I didn't steer off the path, so I wouldn't know that. Mm. But the way that I established that was because of my older brother, because my older mm. brother was the wayward child from like from out of the womb. He mm. was really the curious one, wanting to break things open and see how it worked, wanting to climb that table, then falling off of it and going to the ER before he was like two years old. Like he was always that rambunctious kid, so he was never on the path because he always wanted to like he'd rather play baseball than do homework. Mine was like. Well, I got to get my A, so I don't even know what you're doing, crazy boy. Um, so I watched by, you know, by that. Like, there, he got in a lot of trouble wow. from both my mom and dad. And I think um, 
you know, for many different reasons, I, I want to have my brother on the podcast to talk about our childhoods because I think we understand so much more now as adults how all that influenced how we turned out yeah. and our attitudes and our, our, our you know, discipline towards things yeah. have really um, been shaped by those things. Uh-huh. But I learned through him. So, like, my thing was like, okay, I'm just not going to do that. Yep. Um, and I learned how to play by the rules. And I always was very, like, my mom says it in Korean that I was, like, greedy. But I'm like, uh-huh. I was ambitious. Like, I what knew what greedy? I wanted. She's like, there, there's like a docile child that like doesn't ever like scream or want anything. You know what I mean? They uh-huh. just kind of go with the flow. They're very obedient. Uh-huh. So I listened, but I still was very like, no, I want that. No, I want to wear this. And I, oh, that's like, maybe that sounds like you were just, you knew what you wanted. Yeah. You're like, you had standards. She basically was like, you're a demanding child. And I was like, essentially, I was pretty bratty because I was very, I'm very sensitive. So I cry uh-huh. easily. Uh-huh. Then I learned young that I could use that to my advantage. Oh, so you then just manipulative. <laughs> I didn't remember consciously <laughs> thinking that except occasions where I wanted to get my brother in trouble because he was being a dick to me. Uh-huh. And I was like, oh, you done messed up now. <laughs> and so I would just, I remember crying hard. He made me cry and then I would like. You would just really dramatize it. Yeah, exactly. To further his pain. It happens. Oh, it's Younger just, this sisters. Is, this is social uh, evolution, okay? This is how people use their strengths. That's why it. you're an actress. <laughs> I mean, natural drama queen. Yeah. But I think that those, like, what you're saying about about immigrant values and, like, what their experiences color their their day-to-day, right? The mm-hmm. way, the things that they end up valuing end up being part of their livelihood and then what they naturally pass on to you because they care about your survival and your sustainability and your growth mm-hmm. and, like, putting all their hopes and dreams on you that mm-hmm. they, like, had to swim 10 yeah. hours. Like, oh, yeah. my God. Yeah. I only risked my life for you, so, uh, yeah. yeah, you don't owe me anything. So you just, you know, whatever. <laughs> no big deal. My dad, it's funny because the message that came clear as I got older, he said to me explicitly, he's like, I always wanted my children to be different. And I was like, that was a very, to me, contradictory because I felt like he always wanted us to do the right thing. And to me, that evokes a more like straight laced and like blah, blah, blah. But he's like, I want my kids to be different and exceptional. You know what? This is another tangent, but I feel like. Uh, we're going to cover every aspect of the Asian American identity here. Yeah, but our cultures. Yeah, exactly. So it's funny you say that because I don't think I've ever talked about it with you. At least mm-hmm. is that um, because uh, I because I, I, I ended up doing an eight t- well other than starting a boba shop, which is very Asian and maybe, but generally because I was a marketing guy before that, mm-hmm. did a very atypical path. And I got into a huge fight with my mom about this actually, and I kind of allude to it sometimes in our story, but. One time my dad said, you know, because he's a freedom swimmer and that's kind of one part of a little bit of his identity. Everybody in our family knows that they're here in the U.S. from his side because of my dad because he essentially became the person who sponsored everybody to move over mm-hmm. as a refugee. Mm-hmm. So my dad actually said, you know, I wouldn't have swam and tried to escape China only to have my son be trapped into anything that I wanted him to do. Wow. And he was like, in America, like, there's a word in Cantonese for it, but he's like, you you call this freedom, right? And mm-hmm. he tried to say the English word for freedom. He's like, freedom. That is what I want for you. Freedom. Freedom to choose. So I, I don't know if it's the same kind of thing that your parents, basically, but it, I feel like it's the same vibe, which is they didn't come here to kind of force us to do things. Mm-hmm. They want to be our best selves, mm-hmm. which... You know, there's a huge narrative of Asian Americans where it's like, 
oh, you have to be a doctor and all that kind of stuff. And I do think that's level one of the culture. Mm-hmm. Do something that's stable and pays your parents back. Mm-hmm. But I actually think what's not talked about enough is that there's probably a lot of immigrant parents that are similar to what you just said and my parents, where they actually, I felt like deeper, which my dad literally verbalized to me was, I don't want you to do what you feel like is forced. Right. So if you don't want to be a doctor, you don't want to be a lawyer, do not do that. I did not swim my ass and do all this shit and almost get killed yeah. to have my son then be forced and have a miserable life. And so, now not knowing I'd end up starting a boba shop. But <laughs> Fast forward. I think, but that's incredible. Yeah. That, that, that liberates somebody to like be a creative thinker because for my dad, I think he always, I think he... I think he really kind of emphasized the exceptional part, like mm. not to be part of the herd, but to be people who could lead and not be afraid Got to it, like yeah. be a trailblazer. And that's, I think, um, again, he didn't say that in words that often. I remember a, a few times in my life where he said those words to me, mm-hmm. probably at like graduation or something like that. Um, but, and ASB nerds, yeah, yeah. High five. um, but I, I do think for my, for my parents, at least for my dad, who I really, you know, a daughter dad relationships are very different than mm-hmm. like mom daughter and all that. Um, I had a really big prioritization of like what he thought and what he valued and what how he looked at me and mm-hmm. always trying to. He's like my Everest, you know, like yeah, trying to yeah. win yeah. my dad's approval. But he had a very specific range of options. So like maybe not necessarily a doctor, but like something still respectable. And so for me, you know, it's yeah. never like uh, he was definitely supportive, but only if it fell into his his view of what is a good, respectable, honorable job. And to him, filmmaking and, and act, specifically acting uh-huh. did not fall oh, in that category. Okay. What so if you said, though, I would have gone to Juilliard or I would have been the doesn't Oscar. matter. Oh, okay, okay. My parents have, and my mom, the same thing. My mom's always the really supportive one, but she's she equated it to, like, a den of prostitutes and drug dealers. Which I, there are entertainment? This, in entertainment, yeah. Well, like, I think... The, okay. okay, that still might be 1980s Korea. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. It's influenced by her culture and what uh-huh. she saw of Hollywood and what makes headlines. And, like, you know, I'm like, Mom, that's marketing. Like, look at the yeah. data. There's literally tens of thousands <laughs> of, of working actors who make exactly. their living, and they never end up on the Inquirer. Like, yeah, exactly. They just don't. Those are very specific people that are mm. whatever. But, again, that takes finessing and, and whatever. And for me to figure out what my voice is and what I want to do to impact the world, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so we'll fast forward from the childhood. So immigrant children, your parents are incredible. They met in this place in Berkeley and you become, you know, this Berkeley student and you're studying, were you, at, you were at Haas for grad school, right? You're doing business. I did undergrad too. Undergrad too. Okay, but I was, it. I would say at Berkeley, the, you, you know this, mm-hmm. what were, you were mascot? I did MCB. I started molecular cell Me biology. Too. Oh, you started? Because I did want to be a doctor. Oh, okay. Yeah, that Me was too. a pre-med track. Yeah. Me too. We never talked about this. No, I, mean, I, I wanted to, I was hardcore. I, yeah, I did. I did a uh, Chem One A. Yeah, I and then trauma because uh, I did mass comm and social. Uh, my my first two majors, they were like, "Why do you? Why'd you take Chem One A?" And I was like, uh, "I was MCB before all this." Got it. In Berkeley, if people don't know, uh, most public schools make you apply within the college mm-hmm, to mm-hmm. kind of like go. Uh, sorry, in the university to apply within the next college that is in the university. So it was it's, a whole system I did not understand. I just neither. figured it out as I, I just went. had somebody, my, my friend, who was like, is now a professor. He was, like, he was like, you know, there's a university and there's colleges. And mm-hmm. the university holds the colleges. I was like, huh? aren't they the same? <laughs> yeah. I was like, he was like, didn't you go to a college? I was like, I went to college with you, but I obviously did not pick that up. You know, yeah. 
I didn't uh, figure out all the infrastructure of it. I just checked yes. Exactly. I, I went to thing. school in four for four years, and I somehow have like a bachelor's. That's what. That's I how call. I look at it. I was but, so mis not mis yeah. like underguided. I didn't. I just went. Well, same. I mean, I after MCB. What? So, what did you end up studying? I ended up studying public health. Oh yeah. Oh cool. So cool. like a little bit of a pivot, but yeah. it was more integrating like sociology and psychology, which yeah. I was obsessed with. I loved it. Same. Oh, that's probably we we have long conversations. Yeah. I so I did sociology and because uh, one of the I remember one of the G the GE the general education requirements was you can take Soch one or Psych one or whatever, and I think I was like oh maybe I'll double major. So I actually thought about taking I think you take Soch three, which is the for intended majors. And I I got lucky because I got one of the best professors, and then that really set me on a track with like sociology. And then uh, communications, I was always really into. I uh, in in high school, I did a lot of ASB like you. Mm-hmm. So I did things associated re- student body. Oh yeah, <laughs> student body like student government leadership nerds. Yeah. Love nerds all the way. Nerds all the way. That should be the title of this podcast. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. not bridging cultures. Yeah, yeah, nerds all the way. Nerds all the way with Andrew Chow. Um, and so by the time I was in college, I liked um, doing anything in front of like like talking about like I thought broadcasting might have been in my future. Oh, actually, one of my favorite movies to this day. And uh, it came out during that time when I was kind of thinking about what I wanted to do, which was a Jeremy Maguire. Oh, okay. So there show was a me I, the show money. me the money, or you know my favorite quote. Can mm-hmm. I use like twenty seconds of airtime on it? Please do. It's like uh, he he says in the first I think two minutes he was like I will not rest until I have you I will not rest until I have you holding a coke, wearing your own shoe, playing a Sega game featuring you while singing a song in a commercial starring you broadcast in during the Super Bowl in the game that you're winning. And I will not rest until I have you. They do that for you. Or whatever. <laughs> That's I remember that I... quote. And I wanted to be an agent because of that quote. You wanted to be an agent because yeah, that? Jeremy Maguire was Got an it. agent. I, I wanted to be an agent with a heart, so like a business guy with a heart, which eventually became maybe a theme of mine. Mm-hmm. But the reason why I liked Jeremy Maguire because he was this tortured soul, and but he was you know fighting for people. And to this day, and you know this about me, I don't really like being in front of camera or on. I'm doing a podcast, but like, you know, Ben, my co-founder, he was the one just on, you know, on, on first we feast with 88 rising, not me. Right. And I generally don't, I'm more of like a behind the scenes guy, but I do like storytelling and I like crafting it. I like architecting it. Yeah. And a lot of that felt like being an agent. So I actually really thought while I was in Berkeley, I was going to be an agent, a broadcaster or a marketing guy. Uh, and I ended up being marketing guy, but that's actually why those majors were chosen that way. That's amazing. Yeah. While you were, so this was the thought process while you were like studying bio and doing Chem One A, or is it like after? By the second switched? semester, I almost knew I was not going to be a doctor. Yeah. And that's actually when I was telling you uh, I got in a fight with my parents that summer between freshman and sophomore year. I argued with my mom. Like I told her I'm not going to be a doctor, mm-hmm. and she told like everybody at church. Like, <laughs> You know, my son wants to. This is already in the newsletter, damn it. Yeah, exactly. It's all in the (laughs) newsletter. You know, I I got I picked out my my graduation dress that You can't renege on this. My mom was like that. And you know, especially oh man. It's a whole separate story of like parents who put their identity in you in their children. Yeah. But I'm I love my mom now, obviously. Always love my mom, but I we had a huge kind of like essentially like a falling out or I just didn't I went home I just didn't talk to her and they have like a, a conversation with her for like nine months wow um 
I'd say like hi, and I'd, and I'd if I went home, hi, but then I'd not talk to her. And then remove yourself from the situation. Yeah. And those are that's very real because everybody's version of like how you confront things is very different. Like in, in anybody's yeah. family or anybody's relationship. Like my family, we would have like the blow up fights too. Uh-huh. And then usually my dad would just not silent treatment was a thing. Yeah. And my mom would speak, but she'd be very passive aggressive. Like, oh, so you want your dinner now? Like, oh, yeah. <laughs> like, well, I don't know what's better, yeah. Yeah, you don't know what's better. It's like whatever your pick your poison. They're I don't know. so good at those tactics. Yeah. But you you stood your ground and I think that's a really important part of the transformation of any person, whether you're doing it in like a college or university setting, because like more and more I feel like young people are not opting they don't see the benefit of like going to a four year university. Oh yeah, I heard that. getting massively in debt because of all that. That um even on our team we have a lot of young um and not like they're very impressive these these kids that we have and a lot of them are like i don't know if i want to finish school yeah and when i first heard that like maybe four or five years ago i was like the parent in the company i'd be like what you got to get your degree and like so many of our team and still probably to this day have not finished their school mm-hmm. and yet they're super impressive and um and have gone on to do other things and like i'm like it's changed my mind on it well we honestly it comes down to a lot of like this we would like talk about the economy but the way that school has changed since we were in school is like I got I got I feel like I got out right when it was starting to get really bad. So I feel like the, sure. the years after me, I just heard so many nightmare stories of how much debt they were like yep. the ways yeah. that the curriculum, like even what was offered at Berkeley, like yeah. there are riots on our campus because people were like they're cutting programs left yep. and right. Yep. And then people were paying so much money to be there. And it was just it was it was like a dumpster fire. So I feel like the situation, the benefits versus the what you're putting, the return on investment of the college education has shifted drastically in this country. Yeah, and that's really unfortunate. And the- I love school. Same. George Unite. Yeah. Uh, we're doing a on-air fist bump. Fist bump. Um, I was just talking about this with somebody. What are your thoughts? I feel like I'm interviewing you. But, yeah, uh, please. So the thought is is that somebody asked me about automation. Okay. Because of um, uh, there's all the stuff that's in the zeitgeist right now with Obama's new documentary. We're at the, the American factory. I don't watch that yet. Oh, so good. I heard it's so good. It's hard to watch, mm-hmm. but it's so necessary. Um, especially if, if you're listening to a podcast, I think it's the same kind of thinking, uh, uh, listener and viewer. So, uh, highly recommend it. So the idea is like what's happening with automation. And I think as more and more things get automated, like in my business, that cashier at like a Boba guys or a Starbucks, eventually we've looked at what happened at Safeway and Target is self-checkout. Mm-hmm. So there's going to be a version of that in a Starbucks. There has to be. Mm-hmm. McDonald's already has these kiosks. They're doing at Costco. And, oh, and Costco, right? Mm-hmm. So sadly, I mean, you know, there's stats on whether that's $5, $10 million. A lot of the government work I do is related to this stuff. And so how is automation going to happen? And then what happens to the jobs that get lost? And more and more work is going to be... It's going to require less human capital, so more and more output. So, you know, if you have a billion-dollar output revenue company that's a retail company, it takes less human capital to make a billion dollars in retail nowadays than it did before. Just right. of automation, robots, and everything. So, what happens to the human workforce? And I think that, like, more of it is related to creative expression. The humanities will be what robots will never be able to do. Yeah. So, if you go to school, I think it will should be in the creative writing, in the arts, the rhetoric, in those programs and strategy programs mm-hmm. or majors and not in super STEM. Mm. Like people are like, you should do STEM because it's the future. And I'm like, it is, but it isn't like, 
I think STEM is very, very important, but I think the humanities are going to play even more uh, because it's just going to be the only way the human race will be able to express itself when everything's automated. I, yeah, I very well. Yeah. So if you don't go to school, go to school, but you know, learning, there's a lot of, enough people learning programming nowadays. Like for sure. But I think in 20 years, like I think you're going to have people, AI is going to write its own. The thing that I appreciated, not just about the subject matter of what you're learning. And I think this happened with my little brother, because I feel like when it's you, it's you, this is what you think and what yeah. you experience. But when you kind of see somebody you care about going through the whole yeah, thing yeah, later, yeah. it kind of makes you reevaluate like, well, why is it great? And why was it so valuable? And why? Because if they go the, the wayward, quote unquote, if they go off the path, mm-hmm. why? What about it is making you so worried? Right. Mm-hmm. So my little brother chose the military and mm-hmm. he was doing ROTC and he was like doing that but got into michigan and did four years of computer science but like to me you know i I, his young generation because he's a decade younger and it's a different generation Mm -hmm. hearing the discussions about the value of school or xyz Mm -hmm. and i actually semi-dated a guy who was like didn't believe in college Mm -hmm. and i had to come up i had to be the in the debate of Mm -hmm. why i think it's important and i'm like i think because as people, we are creatures of habit. And so mm-hmm. it's not even just about the what you're learning about, which I think is incredibly important. How awesome it is to have a great teacher, which I think like investing in teachers and people who can oh, communicate sure. well mm-hmm. is paramount. Um, mm-hmm. But like also the fact that you're getting up and going somewhere on time and the fact that you have to have accountability and oh, that yeah, you have exactly. a way to measure things and like that, like learning about structures and then learning how to build those structures and like like, even if you want to, you know, take it apart and rebuild it a different way later, you still need to know how it works now. You know what I mean? There's part of like being like, I learned a lot about running a nonprofit from working in, in a corporate environment, yeah. from working as a cog in a larger machine. I learned how yeah. that machine worked yeah. and then I liked what I liked and yeah. I didn't like what I didn't like. And I got to apply that elsewhere. Yeah. That's what I felt like it's school of life. Like life teaches you so many things, but school is an institution. I'm a nerd. And I was just like, I think that it's really great as a practice to learn how to like how you learn how you learn yeah, exactly. learn how to talk to a professor learn how to take a test and in that process juggling a lot of things I mean, yeah that's where everybody i don't think everybody needs to go to college but everybody right. needs to be in some type of system and it oftentimes it is college mm-hmm. in which you learn how to learn and you learn how to like collaborate set limits and be on your own that's I think what it, that's yeah. probably the most important thing for school yeah I think that's what I loved about school is like I got all those things yeah. in spades. A lot of ways that I didn't expect or yeah. like at you the time. Cool <laughs> yeah. I mean, we were talking about this before we turned on, but like so many of the people right after college or even during college are now, whether it's in, in our industry or in tech, mm-hmm. that are doing amazing things. And I remember them when we when we all had our first drink together, mm-hmm. when we all went to the first our first club together. And <laughs> it's crazy because now they're building like billion dollar companies, but the Back then, we were all just sharing experiences, and I think that was more important than the actual me learning how to do cost accounting in in Berkeley. That was not. I mean, that's important for, for no. But a lot of times, you don't even use any of that knowledge. Right, right, right. And everybody uses those uh, what you call like hard skills. Right. You learn there's those soft skills that are really, really helpful. And that's again, soft skills are not are going to be the skills that. The robots won't really replace. You You heard it here from Andrew Chow. This is what we need to think about when we're thinking about the future of automation. I also feel like... That's the next title. Yeah, yeah. Do you yeah. like, robots are coming. Robots are coming. Be prepared. But in terms of, like, how you evolved out of, like, the Berkeley life of... So you became a marketing kid mm-hmm. and then did Haas. Yep. 
um, business school. Mm-hmm. How did that, so w- what was your, did you have a vision at the time of like the trajectory of your career in any way? Did you think you're going to be an entrepreneur? Did you think you're going to work for like a big company? Did you, what, what did you think at the time? Cause you're like, what, early twenties Yeah, and, and in Silicon Valley, like in yeah. the Bay, um, with a very specific environment of all these like business mm-hmm. nerds mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. nerding out. No, I mean, I was, uh, I mean, uh, I'll steal this from Fung Bros and now Wong Fu made the whole, uh, series. I, I was a yappy for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, I even said to Phil one time, um, I was like, Phil, did you name the, the main character of yappy as Andrew? I was like, did you, did, was that off of me? <laughs> like, no, I just know a lot of Asian Andrews. I think the line is like, Andrew's the basic bitch of, uh, Asian. That's pretty funny. I was like, what a line. <laughs> I still remember this to this day. Anyways, I love Phil. Yeah. I, but I was, I would definitely yappy though. Mm-hmm. And, and in no way is a bad thing. If you're listening and you're listening on this on your commute to uh, working on Genentech right now, <laughs> <I'm> sorry, <laughs> or you're going to Google you're on your, and Google. you're in the shuttle and you're yeah. listening to, first of all, on your free Wi-Fi, um, <laughs> on your free Wi-Fi, uh, that I was that. And I actually think I, I was really happy because mm-hmm. I, th- that's maybe where my dad's person, I was very, I'm still very, very grateful. So I... To me, most people know Boba Guys happened by accident. So I thought I was on the CMO track. After business school, I was I graduated business school 28, 29, 29. And um, uh, I uh, usually after business school, you either consulting, banking, or CPG, marketing, brand, mark, brand management, which is what – it's like a general management role. And that's what I did. Got it. Because I wanted flexibility. Um, my wife didn't want to move around uh, – um, and then I got accepted to one of the top, we call top tier. I was at Clorox. So Clorox, Procter and Gamble, Unilever, those are kind of like the top tier. There's like five or six companies that if you're there, you're kind of like, you cut your teeth there. You can kind of do anything because all the CMOs come out of that kind mm-hmm. of system. So that's really what I thought I was going to be until Boba guys happened. But I thought I was going to be a CMO. I knew Asia was really big. In business school, everybody was talking about what we call BRIC, which is uh, Brazil, Russia, India, China. It's like the emerging economies. And so if you speak any of those languages or have ties to them, for me being Chinese, mm-hmm. um, speaking Mandarin and Cantonese, I was like very lucky. I'd be like, dude, I have some pedigree. I have a lot of experience. And I actually can speak the languages. So I might have a great international career. Maybe I'd be like a CEO. So that's that most I thought. Mm-hmm. And I'm generally a planner, so I, I did think of it. But whatever happened was my one of my best friends and I started Boba Guys just because we wanted to drink a lot of Boba and not pay. So that's just an Asian reason. It was like, yeah, you want to be frugal. Fr- being frugal. And I was like, you know, it'll cost the price of a car. It's like instead of like buying a car, it's like I'll t- uh, I don't think I say this on interviews really, but like people ask a lot, so I get it enough. How much did you guys spend when you opened Boba Guys? It was 40 grand each. So we both put 80 grand. So we both put in 40 grand to 80 grand was what we started that first mission store. And it was a pop up store, right? It was a pop. Oh, before that, it was like four grand for the pop up. Got it. But that was kind of not that. It was a kind of break even. But the store itself, the physical store, was $80,000. $80,000. And um, in San Francisco. In San Francisco. And Could you swing that now? <laughs> probably, definitely not. No, no, no. I mean, now all our money and our wealth is all in locked up in that giant entity. But uh, so we're like, well, at least after work, because we were still working our day jobs, we can come back to a boba shop because neither he and I really drink huh. alcohol. Mm-hmm. So we don't want to go to a bar. So at least we can go there after work. And that's really why it was started. 
And then because you I, want a free boba. Yeah, like an Asian. Yeah, want a free boba. Um, but we were trained. He was an art director, and I went to business school. I did brand management, so we knew how to. I would say build brands, like as in like, oh, we're so good at it. But like that is our discipline. Mm-hmm. So I said, why don't we use our our discipline to build a brand? So even though we didn't think it was going to blow up, mm-hmm. we did build it as if it was like it was going to could scale. Now, we don't want to half-ass it. That's where Ben and I are both kind of like very Taiwanese tiger kids. Like we... Go big I, or go home. Yeah. I mean, I can count one hand how many bees I got in my life. Mm-hmm. I mean, to say that like sometimes people are like, oh, Andrew, you're kind of like low-key for a CEO or a whatever entrepreneur. And I'm like, I'm high-key to some people, but I'm very low-key. But to be honest, like I'm still pretty high-key because I still only have like, you know, like you probably are saying only a handful of like... B's, C's, and F's, like, like, and so I think when Boba Guys came out, I just didn't want to be like, I don't want people to be like, oh, I came to your store and it was kind, it was okay, mm-hmm. and you could see it on people's faces. It's mm-hmm. like I came and watched your show and it was all right. It good, was good job, it was good, good effort, job. good effort. I'm proud of you for exactly. doing that. <laughs> but that's that's, like, that's an Asian F. <laughs> it's like I can read subtext. Euphemisms. Uh, yeah. So, so we really want to put our best foot forward, and then we did, and. I'm going to say the rest is history, but like, you know, by the third year we had to quit our full-time jobs and that's really when, when we quit, that was really when we're like, okay, I literally am going to give up my entire career for this. Wow. For me, not to, him, he didn't go, not to be like, he didn't go to grad school. I had to spend another $130,000 to get my MBA. Mm-hmm. And he could always go, you know, art directors like him, he can always consult. It's, mm-hmm. Brand managers don't really do that kind of consulting. You really just, you're embedded in a company. So I'm like leaving that track. Mm-hmm. And now starting something on my own. Leaving, completely leaving a nest. Like, you're leaving a whole identity. Not identity. Yeah, but like it a whole identity. identity yeah. and, and, a, and a financial yeah. track that you're on that you're used to. And that's, I think that's why people have so much respect and admiration for entrepreneurs. Because there's a, it's literally the flight away from security mm-hmm. of everything that you know. And putting all your eggs in that basket yep. to make that work. And it's like sink or swim. Yeah. And I think, uh, I mean, also maybe because of our undergrad, like Berkeley was a public school. Mm-hmm. Public schools compared to private schools. I had a lot of my friends go to Stanford and USC. Those were definitely nurturing. Mm. Berkeley, mm. definitely not nurturing. Sink or swim. Sink or swim. You know, Chem you have, 1A. Yeah, Chem 1A. You have weeder classes. Yep. There's no such thing as a weeder class in Stanford. You know, all my friends went to Stanford. There's no like real weeder class. They want you to succeed. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Positivity. Let's encourage you. Yeah, so you this need, is you really. Need, you need floaties, you need floaty wings, you know, I'll help you float. Like in Berkeley is like, uh, a third of you guys are going to drop out. Yeah. You know, you're not going to make it. Yeah. I'm like, wow, that's intense. But I think it, for certain person, not every personality, but I think a lot of personalities, it makes, especially for competitive a little bit, like it'll make you stronger, which woke me up. Cause I was, a, I was a good high school student, but I wasn't like the best. I was always better in extracurricular. Mm-hmm. Um, so my SAT scores were very like mediocre. Ditto. But um, I'd make up for it in like my effort or my things that I do on the side. And so by the time I got to Berkeley, I didn't really care like about like even 
best test scores or anything, but it woke me up a little bit to be like, to even stay alive. Yeah, to survive. I have to think about it a little more than I did in high school. Good. So those are, that's, a, I think, the benefit of the challenge, right? And I think that's where the, the grit comes into mm-hmm. play because if you, if you, there's no friction or no traction on anything, then like you, you just float right through. I don't know. Yeah, I'm a big soul cycle person. They're like, turn, <laughs> turn the wheel to the right. You need a little bit of resistance. With no resistance, no pain, no gain. Like, um, you know, just like in life, you gotta, you gotta have a little bit of resistance to give you that pushback. Totally got that from my dad. You, yeah. yeah. My dad gave me the no pain, no gain mentality. So yeah. you're just like, all right, this is the pain. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I'm, I'm really curious too, because then, so you've gone through this transformation as a person and you've, and you talk, I mean, we got to talk offline a little bit about like, you grew up really strictly religious too. Mm-hmm. And so it's like kind of this breakaway of finding mm-hmm. like who Andrew is, like, what mm-hmm. do you really believe in? Like, what do you want to mm-hmm. do? Mm-hmm. And I think that come for a lot of people, it's a very holistic thing. It's, there's no singular moment of yeah. like the singular thing, like, oh, I changed majors and then that changed everything it, it's a very ripple effect for me like i would have school but then i also have the boyfriend and i'd also have <coughs> what's happening within my family with my brother and my dad and like yep. all those things are like these constant shifts and molding of like mm-hmm. the person you become mm-hmm. and suddenly you go from being like the super straight laced yeah. rule following person to being like i'm a freaking entrepreneur i'm going to figure out what this is yeah and i'm going to create a culture based on what i value and yeah. like what that's a very big well, we say that it's a yeah. 180, or is it like a what? It, it is, well, I, well, most people who know me say, yeah. like, on one hand, I they're not surprised, but the other hand, it was like a complete 180. Yeah, like you're like, where does this come from? I think. Well, I think most people are multidimensional. Yeah, and some parts are just latent because of external factors like culture or pressure or social norms. Mm-hmm. But I think uh, I had this great. I heard or watched and read this great thing about Malcolm Gladwell. You probably you read Malcolm Gladwell, I've, of course. Yeah. Okay, we're on not every book, but I've read several. Yeah. yeah, and he had this one piece in the New Yorker. It was about kind of entrepreneurs, and people think entrepreneurs are like crazy risk takers, mm-hmm. like like financial ones. And I'm like, actually, I'm not a financial risk taker. I'm a businessman, so I'm very actually conservative. But I'm a big social risk taker. So I think what my friends who say, oh, I'm not surprised that Andrew's an entrepreneur, they will say that when he was young to when he is old, Andrew really doesn't care what people think. And that mm. actually I've been told my entire life. Mm. Um, I, in high school, I, you know, my, I had a my mom's sister. She, at the time, she was a handicap. Oh, she's no longer living um, with us anymore. But um, she was um, handicapped. And all my friends were doing all these different things, and I had this crazy idea, which is still around to this day. That's why I'm super happy to talk about it, is that um, we started a special ed program where we used high schoolers to volunteer and work with people who are mentally disabled uh, in my old high school in South San Francisco High, or we call it South City. Mm-hmm. And that program was there, and people were like, why you are going to start this thing? Because like, to most high schoolers, that's a random thing. Yeah. But I was... For personal reasons and just because I grew up with it because I've watched my, my – my aunt, my mom's sister watched me grow up. Mm-hmm. So to me it was just personal. But then right then I remember a couple people were like, oh, that's kind of – and it was not a PC culture back then. So it would be like, well, why is Andrew with all the – you know, like name your derogatory term. I was mm-hmm. like, what is that about? Yeah. And it, I just – I was like, you guys are stupid. Like, you know, and part of my friendship would be like, you guys are like, like, like idiots. Like you guys are like – like dumb fucks. Like I really thought that in my head Mm -hmm. and that was kind of the edge that I always had. And in Berkeley, it was very similar where I worked at the school paper 
and I was um, one of the few Asian people in the school paper, uh, and. I would generally be I'm obviously characterized as a moderate I'm a centrist mm-hmm. so when people would go too left or too kind of like far out there and progressive I'd be like yo the real world doesn't work that way mm-hmm. and I'd always be that voice in kind of like those at a school paper which is very left the middle guy and so by the time as I got older and then did, did real jobs like I already had this mentality where I'm like if you're too extreme like it, and I don't think it's effective. I'll actually voice my pain, even if I'll get bashed for it. You know, yeah, and it's happening with Boba guys. Yeah, people said I'm too left because I went, you know, about sustainability and straws, and I got all the shit from all the libertarians who said, you know, that's not really going to save the straw environment. Mm-hmm. I'm like, that's not what the goal is. It was a cultural move. That's right. why we did it. Right. But on the flip side, some people who are super left got mad at me because I. Um, was very like pro business on certain tax calls, and I'm like, well, I'm trying to preserve the health of small businesses for America. Like that's why I endorse these kind of bills. And in both sides, I'm just like, I'm not, I'm, I'm not even a real party. I don't, I'm not like, like left <laughs> or right. I'm actually just a common sense party. That's why I always tell people, mm-hmm. I just do what's right, and that's kind of what made me an entrepreneur because this whole time. I just had – I have a very high social risk tolerance, which is why on a podcast, I don't mind saying even my values and what I believe because you either like it or you don't, and I don't really care. It's why Boba Guys exists yeah. because Boba Guys is – one of our big hashtags that people know is called Dialogue Wins because we made very controversial talk calls and like as long as people know where it's coming from and we say why – they're like super gung ho for it, you know. I think that's been part of like honestly, I'm so fascinated by like the <coughs> the evolution of Boba Guys and like why it made such a difference because it, for people who grew up on the coast or in very Asian diverse uh, areas like myself, I grew up in Cupertino, mm-hmm. where like Quickly's and like Boba, oh, yeah, yeah. Boba spots were there a long, long time, like mm-hmm. as long as I can remember. You know, people going out and yeah. it was Starbucks or it was like Tapioca Express. Yeah. Go to Tapex, and so like Boba has existed, but I feel like you kind of, you guys, what you've done in the last couple of years, or like it's probably more than it's like what five years now. In total, is eight, but I we only got. I would most people say it was five. Because yeah, we got hot at five years ago. Yeah, and it's it's crazy, but like it's you know it's like different shoe brands. Like you don't know they're not the first person to make shoes, but they're the ones that made the shoe conversation or what that brand represented that's what i think is really interesting about this current culture that we're in in Mm -hmm. our generation of branding and like how we uh, we have our personal brand and like how we define that and i think that it's so fascinating part of me rolls my eyes at it because i'm just like god we're not all brands like you're a human like shut up and get over yourself Uh but when it comes to like the business side and like as entrepreneurs as an artist like i think there's you know you can't like throw the baby out with the bathwater you can think about well what do you stand for exactly what are what are the values that you and then so i think what i noticed from boba guys is that i i felt that i can't i feel like i felt that vibe before i got to know you Uh of that like this is who we are and you can take it or leave it i felt that from you guys and i liked that Thanks. That's what made me honestly gravitate. Well, we never talked about this, so it's, yeah, it's, that's cool. It's Thank not you. tangible. Uh-huh. That's stuff that you can't like quantify, and uh-huh. you can't like put it in a survey. Really, yeah. I just felt it, uh-huh. and that comes from like I guess your personality, you combining that with Ben's design or whatever. Yeah. Like an ant eat, it's ant eater. Arvark. Similar. Similar. Yeah. But I was just like, huh. Like, where did this, how did an art, it's so random, but like, it says a lot about these guys Uh that like, they, okay, 
an aardvark. Yeah. All right. And it was very noticeable. It was very like, you know, going in trend with like what's Instagrammable, things yep, yeah, like that. Yeah, yep. Turning it in more into like a conversation than just a drink. Yeah. And again, I don't know if that was like the intention of like the design behind that, but that's what I think is the cool part of branding and the mm-hmm. cool part of culture yeah. that we're like always contributing to it. And it's like yeah. a, it's a living thing. And so the conversation is always changing. So, yeah, I think it's all right. I mean, you said the, uh, it's like a nuanced comment, but I think it's like a very profound, you said it's a living thing, brand and culture. It's organic. Mm-hmm. It's living. Mm-hmm. So especially, you know, 20 years ago or 10 years ago, we really didn't have social media. Mm-hmm. So with social media, you, you create transparency. So now yeah. you can be an actor Back then, you could be an actor, and you could nobody would other than the paparazzi. You really didn't know what happened after you left the camera. Yeah. Now you can be on camera twenty four seven. Yep. Companies, CEOs, the brands. If you really are like a shitty company, it'll show up on Glassdoor. Mm-hmm. So the transparency, which is one of our core values, really is kind of part of the mo nowadays. In the, whether it's politicians, entertainers. Or businesses. It's all kind of the same. It's all about branding. And my training is branding, so I have very kind of like structured theory about branding. Mm-hmm. And so then if if we – so as you, you're an actress, like what do you want to be known for? Like that's all it comes down to. Like one of my favorite – everybody knows. I was – people are going to – who know me are listening. They're like, when is he going to drop a Hamilton quote? <laughs> but uh, I'll drop it right now. It's like, you know – he says, if you stand for nothing, Burr, what will you fall for? And that's exactly the line that I think about, which is you could be like Aaron Burr, where you stand for nothing. Um, and he's always like, you know, talk less, smile more, and have the whole kind of motif, which is, I think, what is what a lot of the dominant hegemonic society, sorry, I use big academic words, but like the dominant theory back in the first, the last 30 years was that. Because you can, it was, it was, it was opaque. You couldn't really see what's gone. Now with the transparent society, everybody's going to see the real you. Mm-hmm. So you might as well actually own the real you. Yeah. And I think that's where this kind of very open, like Hamilton culture is out coming out, which is like bold, assertive and not in a brash way, but just like, I am who I am. This is why I'm putting myself on Instagram. Yeah. And I think we have to correct a little bit. We can't be too extreme and be self-absorbed, but I think businesses, artists, we have to kind of embrace that. And then, and then use it for good. Like I always tell people like the best thing that happened in social media is that if you're a dick, you can't hide anymore. Yeah. And I, I agree with that. Yeah. You find out and we know entertainers, certain entertainers, they're like, how come nobody supports them? And you're like, oh, you wonder why? <laughs> and we know. Yeah, we know. Sorry. No names. Yeah, no, no rumors in the comments. Yeah. yeah. Um, so, Don't at me. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So I think at the end of the day, we're just trying to, I mean, that's a whole separate, that's like pod, that's a separate podcast episode, but it's like, Oh, we'll have culture. like a whole, theory, a whole series with you, Andrew. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's like conversations about culture. Because and- if we're talking about culture. It literally yeah. is everything. And that's what I think is so fascinating about that being your mission statement about bridging cultures, about the fact that Boba, at least in some parts of the world, you know, for us in Asian America, which is still, again, a very organic thing. And the voice is strengthening and clarifying and the, even the do- the dialogue happening in the Asian American community is getting more nuanced and more mm-hmm. honest. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Because now that we have more representation maybe out there in the media, mm-hmm. now people are being, they can be more, you know, they can t- pick it apart more. Mm-hmm. Be like, well, what about this? And what about this? And what about South Asians? What about refugees? And what mm-hmm. about, you know? Yeah. 
it's it's they're very there's so many stories behind there and now we can really talk about that because before it just wasn't even relevant at all yeah so that's like and what food and drink has done bring back to like what you guys are doing I think it's, it is a, I always thought that food and drink is like the best way to bridge cultures because it's such a great thing to enjoy that doesn't feel, there's no, unless you're like Tyler, whatever his name is, I was trying to make kimchi on Eater, whatever that thing was. Tyler Florence? Yeah. There was like some white dude who made kimchi, like it was an abomination on my culture. I think it was Tyler Florence probably. Yeah. I just, I didn't like that because it was just all wrong. If he made it perfect, I would have totally applauded him. Like, oh my God, this white guy made kimchi and wow, good job. But it was like orange sludge and I was like, who who taught you how to make this? Don't do it. It's like, (sighs) it's like going to Italy and ruining pasta. You can't do that. I know. Yeah. It's like sacred almost. (laughs) Yeah. But, um, but now that, you know, food is such a great bridge and I think that now that you're using that in like this more meta way to have conversations like beyond just like the boba itself, but like, but you've talked about even like how you guys make it and like making that a conversation piece, I think is so great. But you know where I get that from? Hmm. I get that from your guys' world, from entertainment. I, I really, I don't think I've ever talked about it in this depth, but I mean, I, because, you know, they always say like, you know, good artists copy, great artists steal. Like this is stolen directly from the entertainment industry. When people ask why is Boba Guys built like a content company or a media company mm-hmm. is because I grew up with a lot of you guys and I've seen, we've all, some of us, I've known some of the people like for more than a decade in the entertainment industry just because we went to the same college or same, same Went to went clubbing the same time back in yeah. the day. Uh, <laughs> Slash eye roll. <laughs> I, know. <laughs> I know. Shout out to Climax and Element and Drink Club and Absolute. Oh my um, gosh! All of you guys, those. If you're I'll old enough loved. to know those parties. I am. <laughs> uh, and a lot of it is like storytelling. So I think, in just like certain movies, there's these you call mainstream movies. It's like uh, the Pen Express. Mm-hmm. It would be the big kind of like uh, behemoth of culture and because it's made to be big, it has to kind of appeal to a lot of different people. Rest, certain P.F. Chang's uh, Panda is that way, and certain blockbuster movies are that way. And some people are like, well, I don't see myself in that, or that's not how it really is. Well, that's not what the blockbuster is supposed to do. Mm-hmm. It's supposed to actually give you kind of the taste of it. Mm-hmm. But it's it's a little bit diet culture, mm-hmm. and not in a negative way. It literally is the, like a beachhead, but it opens it up. Mm-hmm. And then you have a next tier, which is kind of like a deeper level. To me, that's usually when you see a Bourdain or in your entertainment world, well, he's entertainment. He was content, but um, Bourdain, uh, David Chang, uh, Major Domo Group, mm-hmm. um, Roy Choi, Roy Choi, Eddie Huang, all the, all the. I think the, I think in, in my world, the, the Godfathers. They're like the, the people who set the stage for people like us. Mm-hmm. But they're still mainstream, but not as they're not the main big movie, but they're like right below that. And then it creates this kind of this pathway where. All the other people that are kind of regional and local can really start asserting their voice. Mm. So, and in, in so in the entertainment industry, it was it was Crouching Tiger, it was the Joylight Club, it was you know some of the early YouTubers, mm-hmm. and then it led its way to create the second wave, which then created you know you know the second wave of YouTubers. John M. Chu came out of that, and mm. you know when he was doing LXD, and I was told John, I was like, "Yo, I remember watching LXD. I was like a dancer, and legend, like, a League of Extraordinary Dancers. Dancers. You and uh, Harry Shum and Mad Chad, right? Mm-hmm. Like, and all our friends in the dancing world that we saw uh, from ABDC. So there was kind of this pipeline, and I think to me, I always saw entertainment that way. So I looked at food. Food, while it's a, it is a gateway because it's very easy. 
YouTube or digital media or any media, you have to almost like invest hours hmm. to. And I think I, I'm stealing this from Phil. Phil from Wang Fu. He literally says like somebody can try boba for three minutes, and if they don't like it, they get thrown away. But it's like canceling a video. And I'm like, actually, that's very true. I think it's very similar. Where like when somebody can try my drink, there's going to be a Starbucks and a boba guys next to each other mm. today. Take a risk and just try boba guys to un, like a non-Asian or non-indoctrinated person, and then they'll uh, they will. And that's the premise of boba guys when we built in the mission eight years ago. Mm-hmm. And the way we storytell was is like saying like we did teasers, like trailers. Um, it's getting people to see what it's like, and it's people will say, "Well, then your teasers are like." Some people will say it's whitewashing or it's like selling out. And I'm like, no, it isn't. It's literally showing snippets of the culture mm. in which you go deeper. As we've gotten bigger, we give real hardcore culture now. Like a big drink. I don't know how many non-Asians, especially white people, drink banana milk because I of I love us. that's Kenji's favorite one. Yeah, yeah. I yeah. love that too. Banana milk. And that started because my our chef partner, uh, uh, Dookie Hong, is a huge Bingray fan. Mm. And he would feed me Bingray. And I was like, what is this? And he's like, you never had it? I'm like, I had it, but I'm like a Vitanai, like a Vitasoy guy. And he goes, this is like the Korean Vitasoy. Yeah. And it was true. And I was like, you know, let's do a whole drink off of that. And Banana. 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 Yeah. So that's that's ultimately where, as you kind of have that platform, and, you know, David Chang has done that with certain uh, topics he's picked uh, he's picked up on uh, in his show, and mm-hmm. Eddie, and Roy, you once you have that pathway, you can kind of slide a lot of things through. One hundred percent. It's like a funnel. I mean, you guys, you, there's it's a wide, it's like a wide uh, net. You just like, hey, everybody, like try this out yeah. and see, and then it can exactly. be like a, it's an entry, a gateway, and, a, and an entry. It's like a fancy hiking trail. Yeah. And now we're starting to put up posts. Yeah. And more people are hiking, and then later it's going to get deeper and deeper into the mountains. Right. Yeah. And then you exactly. can like you can then you can have a host of other topics to get a lot more nuanced and like that's and and in doing so I think is also giving voice again what you're doing I think is empowering a lot of other people because you're making something that maybe people thought like okay tapioca balls yeah like in what world. Okay, we get it, but they don't get it. Yeah, exactly. This is our thing. They'll look at it. There was part of me when I was younger. They're like, "Oh, I love Tap X," but like people will probably think this is like gross or yeah. weird and gelatinous and funky. Exactly. But now it's like the hip thing, you know. And, and that blows my mind as you know in my thirties to be seeing everybody enjoying boba like that. Yeah. It's it become a thing because my younger self wouldn't have believed it. I wouldn't have had the audacity to think that. And that's what yeah. is really cool to see what. Um, Shifting these one these specific things that you chose, you decided to take on boba, and uh-huh. you're like, but my but the thing that's underlying as I make this business is my value of bridging cultures. Yeah, yeah, it's intentional, it's in co- it's conscious, and I think that that then that consciousness opens up other other people to be again, even if they're not even aware of yeah. it, it's very subconscious, like subliminal messaging. Yeah. It allows you to feel like okay, <laughs> I can I can own my thing, like. Let's talk about grass jelly now. I don't yeah, know what exactly. it, you know, like because it could be that thing that you thought was super weird, mm-hmm. and now you're like, no, it's not weird. Look at boba, yeah. like whatever. It, it gives yeah. you that freedom, that the freedom that your dad wanted. Exactly. Well, right, good callback. Yeah. Uh, yeah. You well, I mean, you, you said it's something that was a really interesting. I don't know if if this is kind of like where we the stake in the ground where we end on, but yeah. like the a large part of maybe why boba guys took that approach is. I, cause I grew up, you know, my first third of my life, I grew up in New Jersey mm-hmm. and I grew up around Italians, Jewish, Hungarians, and like, um, non-Asians basically. And I always tell people, I didn't have a horrible childhood. 
I definitely felt othered, but I actually didn't get teased that much. Like I generally, I got Jackie Chan jokes and Bruce Lee jokes, but that's about it. And and my parents had a restaurant in the neighborhood in Woodbridge, and everybody knew our. We were the the one of two Chinese restaurants in the whole area. Mm. So. I kind of like was always kind of like othered, but I was always known. I kind of liked that, so I didn't mind being on the outside. But then when I started thinking about boba guys, like I remembered, I do remember when people think, "Oh, you have dumplings in your thermos," you know, mm-hmm. what and the soy sauce vinegar, like like that smell of vinegar, and um, you make me hungry. That I know I'm like really good. After this. <laughs> That's a problem working in food or just being. I'm always around like food topics or talking about it. Yeah, so, uh, that's why you never can lose weight. Um, <laughs> The so when we started thinking about boba guys, we thought either you can kind of like beat people over the head with be like now it's our turn yeah. listen to me psh, psh, like with the with the clothes hanger and like you know feather duster like whip them <laughs> you could do that yeah and I'm not gonna I I generally don't I have a don't have that much of a filter I think a lot of Asians have done that and I think that was absolutely wrong. Mm-hmm. I think it has been. I think it set people back. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, like, no one bridges cult. No one, not bridges cultures. No one really brings people on the other side and creates this dialogue or furthers culture. By hitting them with by the hitting, some, hitting Hitting the other culture. <laughs> yeah. By slapping them. Yeah, I by agree. By shaming them. I understand. This is my thing. I've, I've thought the same thing, and I've had a hard time articulating it because several people in my world have been like that, and I've been like that. Like, to be honest, I, I've felt the sentiments. So I feel like I've felt the, like, it's my turn to, like, matter now. Yeah, exactly. I, yeah. Because, because you felt so insecure like invisible exactly. or whatever so i get with it but i agree with you wholeheartedly when it just comes down to brass tacks when it comes to like practical yep. strategy and like execution it doesn't work it doesn't work in a in a dating relationship and it doesn't work exactly. in, in family and it doesn't work in yeah. business you know what i mean it's like it's the vinegar or honey thing right yeah exactly and it's like you can go about it in a way that's like some people look at that as being a sell it because you're just like kissing ass and like trying to do whatever placates or like is yeah palatable to somebody else but i don't feel like that's the only way you have to do it you can do it like hey come try this if you want it's really yummy it's cool yeah you're totally welcome here we're not gonna make fun of you if you don't know exactly this terminology and yay and i hope you enjoy it exactly (laughs) tell your friends about it (laughs) later on like we have other and it's layered Mm -hmm. that's the other thing too a lot of people are i would say it's impatient but a lot of people don't see the long-term kind of play Mm -hmm. short term as if you're the the, if you had only one interaction Mm -hmm. and you think you're never going to meet them again or you don't think other people are going to carry on the dialogue yeah then if you had that one shot of course you're going to lay it into people and this generally what the asian community had done for a really long time yeah yeah yeah. and i've been that and my name's on reddit for a reason like people say andrew's uncle chan and i'm like i'm like what like like, I don't read it fully, but, like, I've been told. And I'm like, that's just stupid. And I know why. I've been called out to my face. And uh, on Twitter recently, there's some kid that did it. And I don't really – I mean, I really don't care. But I, I'm i also like, what's creating that culture, though? I'm a, I'm a very analytical. So I'm a, like – I don't really care. But I'm like, where do you think this is coming from? Because mm-hmm. I'm trying to dissect it. And mm-hmm. to me, it's like this, like, it just it, – it's a it's – a, I don't say in a negative way, but, like, in a – it's a dysfunctional way of handling it. Mm. And – it's not healthy for whoever's saying that. I'm like, it's more about you. It has nothing to do with me. Like, I'm like, Ben and I, our reputation is we don't really lack confidence. Yeah. <laughs> so Ben and I are known for, like, we're kind of, like, a little swaggy. So, like, I think, I think I would just encourage people, because I feel like generally now the older elder statesmen is that 
we have to like figure out how to. I guess it is to pull, bring that br- bridge and bridge it. Uh, sorry, build that bridge and, and and kind of bring people over and be really good at enticing them, and and kind of like showing them and being a good ambassador and tour guide. Mm-hmm. A good host. A good host, exactly. That's. I mean, my industry is essentially hospitality. Mm-hmm. As you get deeper, it's like, and you cross my side of my land. You cross my bridge, and then we go deeper and deeper into the trail. Like, yes, it, the deeper you get. You'll go deeper. Like there are times where there's people who know nothing about how the importance of the symbolic meaning of pineapple cakes, mm. about friendship. I don't do that on the normal Boba Guys posts because it, I can't. I don't do that in interviews. I don't do that in many. It just doesn't make sense in the content. But when I do a one-on-one uh, VIP interview, mm-hmm. or when I take a VIP and I'm with like I'm rolling with a media person, and that media person is not Asian, but it's like New York Times or whatever. And I know that they just don't know. Mm-hmm. Then I'll go like, hey, as a sign of friendship, if you go to Taiwan, this is pineapple cakes. And here's why pineapples are so important to – it's a tropical – it's an island. It's tropical, da, 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 da. And that's – and then it came from this part. And I kind of go through the origin. Mm-hmm. And through that kind of one short interaction, a journalist from New York Times or Vice or Complex now has deep culture. Mm-hmm. And I think that is a much easier way of kind of like connecting people. Mm-hmm. Because, yeah, the aver- uh, the opposite of that would be like, what? You don't know pineapple cakes? You didn't know colonizer? Psh, like, like, you know, like. Well, again, you could include that, but like, uh, I think as a storyteller, it's about tactic and motivation. Well, what is it yeah. that you want? And I think my my biggest observation of like humankind, yeah, is we want to be understood and appreciated. Exactly. Like Everybody it comes is. down to love. Like yeah. as cheesy as that is, and it's yeah. cliche, it is pretty simple, but it's very difficult to execute because we all have our wounds and exactly. we all have our selfishness, yeah. and we all want to be seen and heard in yeah. our way. And um, you know, that's just that's also just human nature. Like as much as we all want love and appreciation we also have our huge like library of faults that like prevent us from getting that but that's the the process i think we need to work through and why having these conversations i've learned so much from every like boyfriend that i've had about my own faults and having to own up to that and then having to evolve and my brother like literally two days ago was arguing with him about my sensitivity (laughs) but like we all do this you know what i mean we get really sensitive about certain things defensive about certain things and that's natural but um i i I like what you're saying about you know being a good host and and having those intentions like taking a second to think about intentions and what your values are and do your actions align with that because there's a lot of things i say that i value and that i'm all about but if you're really honest about it and i'm trying to be more tough love on myself Because I just don't want to keep repeat, repeating the same mistakes. Exactly. It's exhausting. Mm-hmm. It's mm-hmm. super exhausting. There are yeah. consequences to not, like, adjusting. So I just think, like, the culture thing is, like, a big topic, but it also comes down to very granular actions in, like, our day-to-day lives. It impacts our conversations. It impacts how we feel when we walk in a restaurant or, mm-hmm. like, whatever. You know what I mean? So yeah. as big as, like, having a, a, a conversation about culture may feel, I think we all understand it, though, because to me, it's my daily life. Yeah. It's, like... How I look at the world and how I think the world looks at me. I mean, but you have all you all your listeners and a lot of our our friends that we know, and and I mean, what a lot of people don't hear is like kind of the conversations we have after these like birthday parties and these these uh, hangouts that we have. And I wish, like, I hope your audience and just people understand is like, you know, we're all like me saying like be nice or build bridges isn't me dismissing like all the microaggressions and 
obstacles that we've all wit- witnessed. Again, I have a shit ton of that. I mean, I didn't even we didn't even talk about my corporate career and the the bamboo ceiling. I know, you know, like, but I, I don't need to revisit that. Like, but I oh, can we later though? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I need tissues. Uh, yeah, and but, I didn't even get to talk to you about your wife and like oh, uh, I love her. <laughs> oh, Minji, yeah, Minji has history with um, my my wife who was a uh, well, th- well, actually, well, two things. Well, one was like. Like yeah, pounding through the the bamboo ceiling was a hard, hard, a huge part of my life, and doing well at companies like Walmart and Clorox. But a lot of it had to do with kind of this approach of like building bridges. Because me saying, "Why don't you promote me?" Because is it because I'm Asian? Like that, I will tell you. And I've actually had colleagues that kind of played that card. Mm. Did not work. Mm. That is not how power gets changed, you know? Mm-hmm. Like, you know, there's a great class at Berkeley they teach you. It's called Power and Politics, right? Ooh. It's like a f- famous one. And uh, everybody has to take that class. Or I didn't. I wish I had. Super <laughs> good. But no, well, Minji, I would say give, give credit. When Minji and I first met, this is a quick story. Um, a large part of how we know each other is there's like back in the old days, Minji is one of the OG bloggers. <laughs> OG. So before Zango. YouTube... It was Zanga that dominated, and there was a, sl- a slew of these influential bloggers in which Minji was part of that crew. And I was not. I was like, well, I had you, my like you're my in that little. Network. I was in the network, but I like your your wife was like, she was uh, up there. I was she, very yeah, very tiny. Uh, but you you read her stuff. Yeah, and yeah. You, knew, you read her peer stuff. Yeah. And so when it's funny because I don't really talk. I don't think I've ever talked about it in a, po- a podcast interview ever. Which is, people are always like, well, what does that shape? There's a reason why I don't like being in front of the camera and all that kind of stuff, and or even too much doing podcasts, is because I saw my wife go through it first. Oh. Yeah, and that's why, actually, I prefer to stick Ben in front of, you know, like... Like, you go do yeah. it. It's because she went through that whole thing. She was like this craft blogger. She was a wedding bee. She was one of the original wedding bees. I had people, like, always come and, like, I would do all her web stuff, analytics, and... And I'd be like, wow, you have such a following. And we'd walk around the city and people would be like, are you Miss Eggplant? Or, and are you Cali Spice? Which was her handle. That's so how I knew her, Cali Spice. And, and you were A. Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah. You weren't she even Andrew. Yourself. You were A. But, she, a and I went to blah, blah, blah. Yeah. And she was very vulnerable on her. She was known for writing about vulnerability a lot in her early days. And she Yeah. I felt like I, I really, I looked yeah. up to her a lot. Yeah. And she was I, this like gorgeous, like. She yeah. went clubbing and showed her like beautiful clubbing outfits. She did, and I was like, "Damn!" Now I'm like, girl. "Take those down." <laughs> <laughs> and then like she shared about her relationship with you. So I knew Andrew when I was a wee tot in in college, um, like learning about as this mystery A guy. <laughs> so when I met you in person, I was like, "Wait, you're A!" My brain exploded. So well, my really- brain exploded because I rarely knew anybody who knew that. So I did try not to, because not to be like. She had already kind of like left that whole yeah yeah because her and Michelle Fan and Rice Bunny at the time they were all part of the same Zanga network. Got it. So that's yeah, why like nowhere near like that. watching this Michelle blow up. I was like, what in this world is like, eh, like again that was the beginning of what we nowadays called influencers. Mm-hmm. But like having there wasn't seen, a name for that. She was just like she was this great blogger. Like yeah, that I, I thought it was so fantastic and yeah, it had like ten thousand e props. Yeah, <laughs> that was so relatable, and I felt like she was really speaking like a whole generation of girls who are figuring out like how to feel good in a bikini, but also like mm-hmm. juggle school and like mm-hmm. go to class, but like have a boyfriend and then you know parents and all this. And she was very relatable to me. She was a few years older than me, but I just felt like that was a, a gateway to something that I didn't have, which is like sisters or 
like. Well, I think that's know. where you doing this podcast and stuff. Or actually, because of how deep you guys go in this podcast, mm-hmm. which I told me, I was like, man, am I going to hit the, an hour 40? You might. Which, oh, man, I don't want to. Because a couple. But I felt like this reminds me of actually the old days mm-hmm. because it's long form. Because Zanga, people used to put their whole entire, all their shit on the internet. Yep. People don't do that anymore. I mean, you have a couple vloggers who do that, but like now a lot of the IG, because it's on IG now, and IG, you don't have long form. Mm-hmm. Because the character limits is just like maybe IGTV, but not everybody even watches that. Right. So like We've long form is rare. A little bit. But yeah, long form in terms of like having uh, an hour plus discussion with somebody to talk yeah. about all the things. I mean, that's Google Reader, mean. remember, like all these like long ass posts. People will not read these posts anymore. You have to be like some medium. Well, now you have medium, yeah, medium, you know, writer person so as we're so recognizing. And I think that this is coming back because I think, you know, everything goes in waves and our culture has been very like <laughs> short form for a while mm-hmm. and we've gotten very whatever the collateral damage of like just being all short form and yeah. like having these little outbursts of like opinions and thoughts and yeah. like reactions fine so be it like it is and we learned a lot from that and then now i think now we can get into the weeds a little bit and be more nuanced and be yeah. like spend a little bit more time like let's talk about racism like yeah. what was your actual experience versus just saying racism is stupid i, I hate it and everyone exactly. like, and, and meme it yeah I hate and, that. and yeah. well sometimes it serves its purpose but i feel like that's it's like the it's like the big funnel thing like okay fine you're getting mad about racism but why i want to know why yeah, yeah, exactly. what, yeah. what happened to you mm-hmm, and like mm-hmm. but what's your interpretation and how do we fix that exactly. and then we can now go into that conversation a little bit more and that feels scary too because i i get really like worried that I'll say the wrong thing or that I'll get somebody, mm-hmm. you know, DMing me or me- messaging me saying like, you are totally off the mark. And then I'll have to, because me being me, I'll like, oh God, and then go down the yeah. rabbit hole and spend the next 48 hours, like having that discussion, which happened on my Facebook. Really? I mean, we, I, I would bring up stuff about like gun control. I'd say stuff about the environment. And then, oh my gosh. you know, I had friends from all kinds of different backgrounds. I have a lot of really smart, worldly yeah. friends and like yeah. they'd all voice their opinion. I was Uh-oh. like, oh God, it's still going. Uh-huh. Um, but that's where I feel like our our culture is very unique at this at this current moment in time at this point with this this history of social media under our belt and now we have this better understanding of like how the world works a little bit more because mm-hmm. we've been exposed to so much. Mm-hmm. Now I think we're really kind of like making more moves that guide it more than just reacting to it. I feel mm-hmm. like there's more educated movement towards like this is where we want it to go. Yeah. There is a lot of hate yeah. out there. Now we need to do this. Yeah, I totally agree. And there's all this like yeah. misunderstanding. Okay, like then let's explain it in this way. I don't know. Like that's why I, I want to be part of that. That's yeah. basically it. Yeah. Storytelling, podcasts, cultures. No, this is this is this is not the, the future, but this is a version. I mean, long form is coming back for sure. So yeah. I think um, and thanks for like letting me go so deep. I mean, uh, there's like Thank some, some stuff deep. in the closet that I'm like, geez, I haven't pulled this out in like forever. I'm gonna put this on. <laughs> I've not talked about like Zenga in probably years. Or, yeah, uh, but I, I think Andrew, what you do has like you know whether people know that it's from you or not. I think what you guys do is really special. Like I think there's there's the, an X factor, and sometimes it's strategy and business school mm-hmm. and and just being like smart enough to execute or bold enough. But sometimes it's just like really I think values have a lot to do with it and being intentional about like this is what I would like the outcome to be mm-hmm. some people just go that's mm-hmm. what my younger self did and yeah. now it's more conscious so I, I thank you for putting in that thought okay. well thank you for having me and I'll the one thought I would end is like 
what people don't realize is also Minji, you're around a lot of good people. A lot of, I mean, people, I mean, if you check your Instagram, like people know we know each other and all this stuff in our personal lives. And what, especially if you're listening all across the world or, or the country, more and more, like you got to find people who kind of like, um, there's some people call it fan your flame. Mm. Like, like you, Minji, you definitely, we, you fan my flame for sure. And I hopefully fan yours and Kenji's is that like, there's a lot of stuff going on and put yourself around good people. And it's right now, a lot of the movement that's happening is partly because the good people are all matching up Mm. and we're all cheering each other on. Like you just came off of your collaboration event yesterday and like seeing all the people there and across, uh, part, different parts of entertainment is is kind of like the beauty of it and i think don't people don't like sit back and think like it doesn't happen by accident it happens when good people gravitate to each other and you know there's a lot of hard work there's a lot of like luck and all that kind of stuff but a lot of it is like choosing to surround yourself with like the right people yeah so i think if you're listening as like a lot of people are like oh i'm discouraged and you know that's easy for them to say because they're in la and san francisco and they have all this like great network but i actually think you can find that because it did not always exist. It had to start from somewhere. I agree. I think that's very, oh, I love that you said that. And it's choosing that. I, oh, everything you said, mic drop. Yeah. Thank you mic so drop. much. Yeah. Thank you so much, Andrew. And yeah. where can people follow you and find, hear more oh. of your stuff? Uh, you can follow um, the deep stuff, I guess, <laughs> uh, personal account. But Bob, follow Boba Guys. We're, we, we put a lot of different things on bobaguys.com or uh, Instagram, Twitter. Everything's hashtag Boba Guys. Um, and then, uh, my personal is, uh, Instagram is Chalmillion. It's my last name, C-H-A-U, but smell, spelled like chameleon. I love that. It took me a second to figure it out. Oh, really? Yeah. I don't know why. I just since my... I was in high school. That's amazing. It was because I'm really into like blending in and code switching, which we didn't even talk about, but like, I, we didn't talk, we, we, we covered a lot before yeah. we started recording too. And I want to talk about relationships. We need oh to have a gosh. whole separate one. Okay, about teaser two. next time. We're going to talk about ladder theory and look it up. It is everything. <laughs> yeah. Go to ladder theory, whether or not guys and girls have one or two ladders. Yes. And we'll talk about dating and all <laughs> the things and more business stuff. Thank you so much, Andrew. Thank you You're so much. Hit wonderful. subscribe. Yes. Hit subscribe. Five star <laughs> review. And if you did enjoy this and if there's somebody that you think would really benefit from all of Andrew's wise words and his story, please share it with a friend and shout out to Marvin. You are my audio engineer and producer. Thank you for helping me put this together. And thank you to Aquafina for use of her song, Yellow Ranger for the intro and outro. I'm a very, very proud member of the potluck podcast collective, which is a collective of Asian American storytellers and podcasts. And yeah, you can find me on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, Radio Public, Spotify, and everywhere else you find podcasts. And if you'd like to become a supporter, please go to patreon.com slash first of all podcast to support this podcast financially. If you want to sponsor me, yo, hit me up. Email me at firstofallpod at gmail.com. You can follow me personally at Minjeezy. And yeah, that's it for this week's episode of First of All. I hope you have a great week, everybody. I love all of you. And thank you again to Andrew. Thank you, guys. Bye. Bye. I got this all up on my LinkedIn. Proficient in spitting, turning red when I'm drinking. Emancipating pussy like I was Abe Lincoln. Squirting out that Kool-Aid to lot of that just sinking, sinking.
Hey, I'm Phil Yu, and you may know me from a blog called Angry Asian Man. And I'm Jeff Yang, author, journalist, and celebrity dad. We host a podcast called They Call Us Bruce, an unfiltered conversation about what's happening in Asian America. Each week or so, we host a discussion about some of the most vital and interesting topics in our pop culture and our community, bringing in guests who are shaping and informing this thing called Asian America from Hollywood to D.C. and beyond. Uh, we've got media, entertainment, food, family, politics, representation, the good, the bad, the WTF of it all. So check us out wherever you get your podcasts or at theycallsbruce.com. Peace. Peace.